I'm Warren Smith. Thanks for joining us today on the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. But on these Ministry Watch Extra episodes, we sometimes go deep with a special guest. And today I'm delighted to have on the program Dr. Michael Bennett. Uh, Dr. Michael Bennett uh, lives in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and uh, he and I have been corresponding for, I don't know, a couple of years. He's a big fan of the Ministry Watch um, work, and uh, he started sending me some of the stuff that he's written, including his latest book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1. Uh, it's nearly 500 pages long, and I've got to admit that it's just really got some pretty brilliant stuff in it. And um, so I wanted to know who this guy was that uh, I'd you know never heard of before. So we've gotten to know each other, and um, eventually uh, I said, you know, Mike, we've got to have you on the podcast. So that's kind of the genesis of today's uh, podcast conversation. Uh, this is um, a guy that, from my point of view, has not been a part of the sort of the evangelical industrial complex, not been publishing books there, but um, has really been uh, writing some pretty brilliant stuff uh, under the radar of the evangelical world. And I wanted to give him a little bit of a platform here on today's program. Mike Bennett has a doctorate in mechanical engineering, and he spent most of his career as a defense department scientist and high-tech entrepreneur inventor. But in recent years, as I said, he's turned his attention to thoughtful, deeply researched, and provocative books about the evangelical movement. And his latest book, as I've already mentioned, is Two Masters and Two Gospels. He takes aim specifically in this book at talk radio and cable news, including Christian talk. Dr. Michael Bennett, Mike Bennett, welcome to the program. Um, it's uh, great to have you on and also to talk about your book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1. So there's another volume coming? There's two volumes coming. Oh, my word. At least for now. You know, another series I did was I was trying to get a book of material out, and I'm on 13 volumes. But this one, I'm going to try to stick with three. That's amazing. Well, and this book runs to four, what, 450 pages or so. A, bre so, a breezy 450 pages. <laughs> well, it is interesting. I, I will I will say that. And uh, uh, But the subtitle here is The Teachings of Jesus Versus the Leaven of the Pharisees in Talk Radio and Cable News. You are in some ways kind of an equal opportunity offender here. You are, you don't, you're not just aiming at sort of the secular mainstream news media. You're you're talking about Christian radio and some of the conservative talk shows as well. Do I have that right? Well, it's like my old Future Quick Radio show. I always said in the archives, there's something there to offend everybody. <laughs> and right. my books are no exception. There's something in there to make everybody uncomfortable, including myself. And the first one to be uncomfortable is myself and the material that I research. And if it makes me so uncomfortable that I really need to consider it further, then I feel like it's worthwhile to take it on to the, my fellow believers. But it has a constructive heavenly aim. Yeah, well, no, I get that exactly. In fact, you know, if one of the things that resonated with me, you and I, I should say in a spirit of full disclosure that you and I have been communicating with each other for a while and uh, had the book for a while and just been uh, 
you know, sort of fascinated um, by by the book and by what you're doing. But, let, let, Mike, let me just start with this, because, I mean, there's a ton of material here to cover. Let's just stipulate for the record that we're not going to be able to cover it all. And so if, if anybody wants to cover it, I'll go get the book, go read the book. And um, but a lot of times, you know, whenever there is a big topic like this, my, my metaphor is, before you pour the coffee, you better put a coffee cup down. Otherwise, you're just going to make a big mess when you start pouring the coffee. It's just going to end up going everywhere. So give me the coffee cup. Give me sort of the frame for this. What, you know, what in a nutshell, in 25 words or less or 50 words or less, are you trying to communicate here in this book? Well, you know, I particularly address talk radio and cable news. And my assertion in the book, I try to document is that it has become, in, in essence, an alternative gospel for a lot of my fellow believers when we talk about public issues. They quote the talking points off there more than they talk from the gospels. And so it's a search to figure out, one is, what's a common theme? And I propose that it's the same wealth-centered message that the Pharisees had and what Jesus called the leaven of the Pharisees. And I actually go into the history in the bulk of the book to find out when did that get started and when did we get off the traditional path of gospel teaching about our neighbor and basically let a hireling tell us what to do. And that's what I think talk radio cable news has become. Yeah. And let's just stipulate for the record that uh, you, you have a Ph.D. in engineering, but you were a Christian from a relatively early age. You talk about you and your brother um, kind of um, discovering the faith together in some way. So, I mean, this is a, you, it. But and it was in a Baptist church. It was a fairly conventional background. I mean, you know, this is not uh, coming, you know, kind of out of left field. But and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here on, on this, Mike, you, you it's near as I can tell uh, you identify. Um, one of the, I guess you could say, one of the ideological villains or one of the uh, ideas that's so dangerous is this idea of Gnosticism. Um, can you kind of tell me what Gnosticism is and why you think it is sort of, you know, one of the pervasive heresies of our time? Because we think about, you know, the, the book of Colossians, for example, uh, in, uh, was, was aimed in some ways towards the Gnostic heresy mm -hmm. back in the first century. Are you telling me that that's still around today? Well, you know, the early church had two main enemies. One were the Judaizers, the legalists, uh, and then the others were the Gnostics. And the apostles warned us to be concerned about both sides. And the main enemies were inside the church, not the external enemies to the church. Gnosticism is basically a view that says, rather than revelation, knowledge, the obtainment of certain hidden knowledge that's not available to the masses is the key through the advancement of your understanding to achieve a godlike state. Uh, they express it in many, many different ways. In recent years, we would associate that with sort of a new age movement or the human potential movement uh, that was taught. But what I show in my book is even through the kind of conservative Christian media that I was raised on as a conservative Christian, I would identify myself as a Bible-believing Christian today more than ever. But what I show historically is that surprisingly, the earliest Gnostic influences in America that started all those movements wormed their way into conservative Christian media. And it was a story that I was not told and had to do research to actually find out its impact. 
Yeah. Well, and of course, that that idea that, um, you know, the idea of that we call Gnosticism, the idea that we can have a hidden knowledge that that we don't um, necessarily need to depend upon um, the revelation of Scripture and the the person of Jesus Christ, um, you know, which are kind of the two means of grace that God has, you know, given us in the world, special uh, special means of grace. Um, It leads us down all kinds of crazy paths. I mean, it's in some ways, it's where the transgender and the gay movement comes from. I mean, if we can just decide that we're not male and 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 or not female just because that's what we want or that's what we desire. Uh, in other words, objective reality plays no role. God's ordering of the universe plays no role. It can take us down some all kind all kinds of you know strange and crazy paths which it has. And so this is not just a first or a second century phenomenon. It really is a 21st century phenomenon. But talk about a particular figure. We can't we can't unpack all of the history, Mike, but you talk about a guy named James Fifield in your book. You devote a whole chapter to him. Who was he? I'd never heard of him before your book. James Fifield was probably the most important person in the history of the modern evangelical movement and Christian media in its history in the 20th century and is virtually unheard of. He was the gentleman known as the apostle to the millionaires. He took over the pastorate at First Congregational Church in Los Angeles, and he began preaching what became sort of the first prosperity gospel message. But what really put him on the map was the National Association of Manufacturers had their 1940 convention. It was on a radio live, and they were trying to rehabilitate the image of big business after the Depression because they were blamed for their hubris and greed for bringing the whole country down. Um, They were terrified of the New Deal, um, pensions for military, pensions for old people, jobs programs, and they weren't getting any traction in fighting it. And he showed up and gave a talk and said, there's only one group in America in 1940 that still had the trust of the public, and that was the clergy. And he says, if you're going to get your message, your pro-business, pro-wealth message accepted by the masses, you've got to put it in the mouthpiece of the clergy. And it was said that it electrified the crowd. And so the main players in in that group and in the uh, uh, other business councils uh, that were there were a lot of oil men like J. Howard Pugh, uh, founder of Christianity Today, uh, several other key figures. And they began putting money uh, into the pockets of this gentleman to start something called spiritual mobilization. And what they did was they created a new message that really looked down on the poor, looked down on any assistance to them. It vilified the government, that the government was not something to be watched, but just actually hated and to be made the enemy uh, of the people itself. And so methodically, they began sending this message targeting the clergy to the point that they were actually paying $5,000 to clergy to preach pro-business messages around the country. And most of our clergy, particularly our conservative clergy, got these spiritual mobilization newsletters. They were called Faith and Freedom. And that's where the Gnostic element comes in, because actually they brought in some spiritual teachers that were the ones that got these same Fortune 500 people as the first people into the LSD movement and into uh you know, spirit channeling and all this other crazy stuff. At the same time, they were working on the foundations of what we know as conservative Christian media. And it's a story I don't know has been told. 
Well, no, it, it, I think you're exactly right. And, and I want to be clear. I mean, you know, J. Howard Pugh, for example, has funded uh, a lot of really positive things as well uh, in, in his life. Of course, the Pugh, found, the Pugh Charitable Trust today, which he helped set up, um, is doing all kinds of mischief in the world. <laughs> um, but, um, but I think in the early days, it did. so th- there really is kind of a mixed bag here. I mean, it kind of, there's a, in other words, you can't just say that all of them are good and all of them are bad. There's a real spectrum. Uh, is that, is that fair to say? Well, um, if you look back in the old Testament at, at the false prophets, the way you could tell them is usually they were really, really well-funded. They were ingratiated into the power centers of society. They gave a very, um, proud, uh, patriotic message. And then you had guys like the prophet Micaiah or Elijah or others, and they're walking around giving a message that nobody likes and that the power center people don't like. And I don't think things have changed that much. Hmm. And that's why I think we have to have a good degree of skepticism, even for the ones who are vetted and found are doing a good job for the Lord. But money does corrupt, uh, yeah. no matter what your original goals are. And, and what I show in my book is that there was a particular agenda they had to have a pro-business, anti-government message. And they tried to sacredize it by working around the, the words that Jesus said in the Gospels to create what I call another gospel. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's James Fifield, and that's sort of the origins of it. How do you see that working itself out today? I mean, who who would you say are the folks today that have embraced more fully uh, kind of this false gospel, this alternative gospel that looks like the real gospel, but in fact has different roots and different fruits. Well, you know, I assume your audience, for them to be involved with your ministry, are pretty savvy. They've been around for a while. They understand things. When they see a full-blown new ager coming and talking about query and conspiracies and things, like they can see these people a mile away. The real challenge for us to be discerning is when it infiltrates in our own ranks. And I'm going to be going in greater detail in volume two and three with some ministries that you might be surprised had direct affiliation. And it's actually far more disconcerting than even what you've seen in volume one already. But I don't even get into the prosperity gospel preachers that we know today, like the televangelist. Uh, Again, that's that's sort of low hanging fruit. Um, What I get into are the stuff that really at first pass sounds very good to us. Mm -hmm. It makes us feel good. Uh, It appeals to our senses, our our sense of tradition. But as I show in the early chapters, particularly the the chapter James Fifield, I I try to whet the appetite uh, of the uh, reader to know that there are other things that can be good, but they still fall short of the calling of the gospel, like like how the uh, government actually co-opted the religious community to try to make the Cold War a holy war and radically created what we consider our Christian legacy. We're we're done behind closed doors in the 1950s. Uh, And so that's what I think my purpose is to be able to share some of this and, you know, try to try to peel the uh, onion down and find out where the core is. All right, Mike. Well, I appreciate that. But but here at Ministry Watch, we name names. We do not speak in generalities. We think specificity is the soul of credibility, to use an old journalistic expression. So let's just, you know, let, let's sure. drill into this a little bit. I mean, you know, so the prosperity, so, you know, the, the Aquarians, the New Agers, okay, obviously, 
Um, they can check, we can check the right. Gnostic box for them. Um, the prosperity gospel people, m- many or most or all of them as well. So we're talking the Kenneth Copelands and uh, most of the folks you would see on the Trinity Broadcasting Network and, you know, the Inspiration Network um, the folks and uh, um, the, the Grassley Six, which would include Benny Hinn and, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So let's, you know, check the box next to them as well. Who else are we talking about? Well, um, that gets pretty disturbing if I start naming names, even though volume one really basically limits itself to the time of the early 70s before we come up with the modern version of what the public calls the religious right with uh, mm-hmm. the Falwells and the Robertsons. I get into that more in volume two of, of my book series. But in volume one, I show how in the 50s you had spiritual uh, mobilization and then another group called Christian Economics, both supported by J. Howard Pugh, some other oil men like Sid Richardson and others that supported uh Billy Graham, for example. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll give you an, a common name that when I wrote it, I got a lot of controversy for it in terms of having n- not just wealth, but a wealth mindset that begins sending you on a wrong path, which, which are two different things. But the wealth mindset, I, I go into detail about Jerry Falwell Jr. And uh, at the time I wrote that, I showed some very, very dark things that were coming up by investigative journalists groups like Reuters and Politico and others, that a lot of my fellow Christians were extremely incensed when I began first uh, mentioning in my blog. When when I documented it, it it all hadn't come out to the degree that it had when I first published this book. A lot of people came back, Christians came back and, and apologized to me and said, I just couldn't imagine the things were true that you had shared, even though I had had good sources. And that's part of the problem. There's good investigative journalism out there. But if it doesn't come in our narrow circle, a lot of times we're not exposed to it or refuse to believe it. But we have a duty as Christians, just like you do in your ministry for the sake of the gospel, to, to be as honest as we can be with the public. Well, let's just stipulate for the record here, because, you know, here at Ministry Watch, we've written a lot about Jerry Falwell Jr., Right. Um, but we've written a lot about him within the past year. Your book came out in 2019, and you devoted pages and pages to Jerry Falwell Jr., and I'm assuming you were doing a lot of this writing. In, they came out in 2019. It was coming, you know, you're writing in right. 2017, 2018, 2019. Correct. So, um, so you know, for that so congratulations on breaking that story. And, and for obviously you were a, a prophet without honor, though, whenever it came out. And and I think that's the other thing, uh, uh, Michael Bennett, that I want to ask you about right now is that um, what is it about us that caused us to be blind to or, or deaf to this kind of stuff that we just we just refuse to see this stuff sometimes whenever it is in plain sight. Um, have we so fully embraced this? Uh, I guess you could call it this modern Gnosticism that we get in a some sort of a reality distortion zone ourselves that call that prevent us from seeing things as they really are. Is that is that the answer? Is my is my is my answer in my question, or is it more different than that? Well, you know, thinking off the top of my head, I think it goes back to the first sin ever identified in the Bible, and that's pride. Uh, Satan was the first to succumb to pride. If you look back in the garden, uh, he offered certain assets and a change of status of mankind uh, where they could actually be more elite 
uh, with the assets that they would require that he offers. And what happened when mankind, starting with Adam and Eve, considered that, it began to cloud their understanding of Scripture. And so they began to compromise. And uh, it just the, the few commands, the few information that God gave them at the time, already it began to cloud it. And when you look throughout the remainder of Scripture in the Old Testament, Israel refused to accept that they weren't fulfilling certain conditions of the Mosaic law to let the land rest, for example, to help the poor, uh, to uh, observe their jubilees. And their opinion was, we're prosperous. These prophets are talking to us and we're doing well. We must be getting blessed by God because we're prosperous. And, and the warnings were coming, you know, 10, 20 years before it all came down upon their head. And so, they tend to gravitate to false prophets that make them feel good about themselves, that justify their um, opulence, that justify the lifestyles that they live, the exploitation of other people, whether enslaving their own kinsmen or economic exploitation, where God says the poor were not getting justice in the courts. I mean, even to the point in Psalm 82, where you read about the Benai Elohim, divine counsel there in uh, Psalm 82, the principalities and powers over the nations God doesn't say he judges them because of idolatry or other horrible sins. It says that the poor did not get justice in the marketplace and in the courts. And these are the things that we excuse when you have a wealth-centered mindset. It's not the wealth that's bad. It's a wealth mindset. And that's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible. You see the Josephs of Amorim. Amarthea, that uh, actually was able to transcend that. Other wealthy people were able to do wonderful things, but it still is a wicked thing. You see that Ananias and Sapphira come around in the church, and it's the compromises that begin that are the problem. America has a particular problem because we're a very proud people. We see ourselves as exceptional, just like ancient Israel saw themselves as exceptional. So you feel like you have certain indulgences because God needs you. So you don't have to take seriously some of these commands. So I think that's why we have a particular propensity. But these people make us feel good. It's just like I mentioned about Jerry Falwell when he was invited on a uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., a political candidate's uh, uh, jumbo jet. He was impressed by the trappings of the jumbo jet. And all of the things that are on board, it, it had nothing to do with the character of the person he was affiliated with, their cause. It, it was the sense that I'm now important and I'm now with the elite. And in our local churches, it's the same problem. Uh, we have teachers that say, if you get involved in this certain kind of business or sell these kind of things or hang out with these kind of people, you're going to be able to hang out with a higher clientele. And your mindset starts to change. You start looking down at people of humbler circumstances. You start seeing that God hasn't blessed them. And this is what the Pharisees taught. The poor in their community are what Pharisees said that God had, had cursed them and that it was something in their lifestyle that was causing it. And it's no different today. And this is what I'm trying to show in, in, in talk radio and cable news today. It perpetuates that. And even in the pulpits of our churches, we have the wealthiest, the most successful, the biggest corporate people in business. They're the ones that get invited to speak from our pulpits, not the social worker, not the others who work quietly behind the scenes in the soup kitchen. It's people who are the elites in our society. Why are the children of God the ones perpetuating the same values that the Gentiles do?
Yeah. Well, I think that's a good word. And of course, we, we've written a great deal in Ministry Watch about how we have idolized our celebrity preachers. And so I, I get that in my bones. I understand what you're saying. It deeply resonates with me. Uh, Mike Bennett, we've got to bring our conversation to a close, but let, let me just ask you this uh, kind of in closing. Um, there are going to be people maybe that have listened to us and, uh, and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm convicted or I, or I um, want to know more. And, um, you know, obviously, like I said, we can say, go read your book. That's, and that's all well and good. But if you just had one word, one quick word for people listening that said that, you know, that was uh, a word of a word, I don't know, of encouragement or exhortation or um, uh, advice for, you know, um, and what, what would that be? And I don't know whether it would be, you know, stop doing something you are doing or start doing something you're not doing. But what would that sound like? What would that look like? Well, I'll ask them the first question in the Bible. When Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? And I'm going to ask them, do they believe, are they their brother's keeper? Do they have the burden the Good Samaritan does? Are they their brother's keeper? And is it their responsibility to respond? Because the simple teachings of Scripture, I can't give them any kind of deep revelation that I found from the third heaven. I say, go read the Sermon on the Mount and how God elevates the stranger and the poor or anyone on the margins of society. And we are to be their advocates so that we can spread the good news. And my whole purpose in writing this book is I see some storm clouds on the front that's going to take the wonderful time of my upbringing of being able to share the gospel door to door with people and lead them through the four spiritual laws and the Roman road. And people are getting very cynical about that. And I understand a little bit why they are. And I want to salvage a Christian testimony in 21st century America and do my little part of it. And that's why I support your ministry. That's why I every day take that information and I do something with it. And if your listeners are their brother's keeper, I don't want them to be terminal users of this information. They need to find out how does that change how they regard the people of lesser circumstance in their society? How do they look at them? Uh, Every facet of their life. They need to change it, whether it's in the ballot box or how they react with their neighbor in the community or in their church. But we've got a lot of soul searching to do. And I want to promote a culture of soul searching, introspection, and be careful who are the strangers and hirelings that we listen to. Just because we're trapped in a car in our commute every day back and forth or turn on cable news, we don't know who these people are. We don't know their motives. And that's what my research tries to do is to shed a little light on who these people are who they're getting their money and support from, and how does it affect our holy calling that we have in advancing the kingdom of heaven? Well, Dr. Michael Bennett, uh, his new book is Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1. And uh, so we can, well, I anxiously await Volumes 2 and 3. So thank you so much, uh, Mike Bennett, for being on the program today. It's been a blessing and uh, very nourishing food for thought. Thank you so much. That brings to a close this Ministry Watch Extra episode, my conversation with Dr. Michael Bennett. His latest book is Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teachings of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees in talk radio and cable news. You can learn more about him at his website, Mike Bennett. 
Books.com. A couple of quick reminders before we go. I'd like to let you know that there's a quick, easy, and absolutely free way for you to support this program, and that's simply to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we have, the easier it is for other people to find us. You can also leave a comment when you give us a rating. The app is not a two-way street. In other words, I can't respond to the comments that you leave there. But please know that I read them all, and I find them both encouraging and often very helpful. If you do decide that you'd like to support us financially, I want to share with you a special offer that we have going this month. For a gift of any size, we will send you a one-year subscription to World Magazine as our thank you gift. That's a digital and print subscription. If you went to World's website, this would cost you more than $100. But if you go to our website, you can essentially set the price. But of course, we hope you'll be generous. That said, there's no minimum size gift. If you're already a subscriber to World, this is a great way to give a gift of World membership to a family member, maybe your pastor or a friend. Again, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina, along with my special guest today, Dr. Mike Bennett, coming to us from Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.